Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here and on this week's podcast I'm going to be chatting about logo design for sports clubs with Michael Rage. But before we get into that I want to give a shout out to FreshBooks who has sponsored this episode. For those not familiar with FreshBooks, it's an easy to use accounting software. If you're not a numbers person, it's a perfect tool for you, helping you to be more productive, organized, and more importantly, helping you to get paid quickly. I recommend that you give it a go for yourself and you can do that with a free 30-day trial. And uh, you can find that just by heading over to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek and how did you hear about a section i also want to give a second shout out to hola brief who have also sponsored this episode hola brief is a really cool new tool that's built by designers for designers to help us better collaborate with our clients to create the perfect design brief i just love how you can create project goals, you can ask questions, create competitor maps, positioning maps, user personas, and and so much more. It's, It's a really fantastic new tool. And since it's free to use whilst in beta, I want you to go and try it out for yourself on your next project. And you can do that just by heading over to holabrief.com forward slash logo geek. So as mentioned on this week's show, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Michael Rach, who is a really talented uh, graphic designer who's been working on sports brands for over 15 years with the agency Fan Brands. Through specializing in sports branding, Michael has developed a deep understanding of how to design sports logos and brand identities. So I've invited him on this episode to have a a really deep dive discussion about how the design process needs to differ when you're working with sports clubs. Michael is also a very talented content creator. Every time he creates a, a piece, it attracts some serious PR, pushing his content to be featured in things like The Guardian, on CNN, and even in People magazine. And that attracts some serious traffic to his website. His projects are fascinating. So we dedicate half of the time that we had to really deep dive into this area. And and hopefully that will inspire you to create some more inventful content of your own to attract uh, new clients. If you're keen to take a look at uh, a few examples of those before uh, we actually get into the interview. You can find a few in the show notes for this episode by heading over to logogeek.uk forward slash 3.9. Anyway, let's get straight into this. Here is the interview with Michael Raish. Can you talk through your design process when working on a on a sports brand? And if there if there's anything that was particularly different from a, a normal brand, it'd be good to kind of put some emphasis on that if that's possible. Oh, we've had some speaking engagements in the last few years, and there's always this, you know, idea of uh, you know you you could talk about with other brands like people having brand loyalty, but something that in 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 our wheelhouse really supersedes that is. You, have, you just have the devotion of an entire fan base. You're talking about heritage. You're talking about people's things of this is a father, like son, like I pass this down to my kids, not just, not just sons, but families being fans, loyal supporters of, of, of these franchises. So you have so much that's emotionally and 
you know, going into it. So it's a very sacred space, uh, certainly with the, some of the team identities and logos I've worked on. You know, you, you certainly, the, the, the interesting ones I've been involved with, and a lot of what we do, again, to just set up with fan brands is we're always working through the leagues and we always collaborate with their creative services in-house, their VP, the VP of creative there. And it's, it's always a collaboration. It's, you're always working on behalf of the league. You're creating a logo that has the, the, the feeling of Major League Baseball or NHL. And it has the, the grandeur and the, the, the scalability and the, and the bigness of these, these outdoor hockey games or the Winter Classic up to the World Series and to the All-Star. So what makes that special is what we said is you just, you just find that there's, there's such a, a deep sense of heritage and, and loyalty. And, and again, on, um, I was just saying with the, uh, the way we, we operate a lot, we operate a little quietly through the leagues. We're not always at liberty to fully share all of that. Um, I'll, I'll quote Todd Radom here, a colleague of the studio. He says it's like being a speechwriter for the president. I think that was always a great way to say that. So there's some of these league identities we've done. We, don't, we can't fully publish those, but I've had a whole experience of doing those. And, and why I bring them up to talk about, well, what is makes sports branding different is you've got the heritage of a team from the late 70s or heritage through the 60s. And some of the ones we worked on have been, we've called them brand evolutions, where you know, you're going to come and you're not going to like go in and like rip apart the soul of the logo or this, you know, people have such an appetite for nostalgic uniform designs from certain eras. Uh, so the best, I think some of the best work we've done is we really leveraged that. We found the real, you know, the down to the granular parts, of the DNA and pulling out those, you know, that those, the, 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 the lettering, but modernizing it and, and refreshing it. And I think that I found that I think some of our work has gone over so, uh, well, when we've worked on it in that capacity, and so that's just respecting this fan base you have, and you have so much behind it, right? Uh, I'll spin this yet another way. You know, there was one recently came up, and Ian, you probably had it up on your feed, and all this was, uh, was two interesting stories. I tell, I, 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 we've talked a lot about here at the studio, and I call them cautionary tales. And the world we live in now is what was the one in? Um, it was one of the FC. I know, Ian, I know you're not. I, I think um, um, are you thinking of the Leeds Leeds FC Leeds yeah it's funny I, I was actually thinking to ask you a question about that because that is one particular um, sports club that didn't pay any heritage to um, to its club so it'd be interesting to hear your take on that oh my god in heaven that was like watching uh, so that's why I say cautionary tale look at this world we as you you know it you're living it with the logo geek feed and look at the world we live in this reactionary climate of stuff and, uh, oh, man, I think it was, what, like, last year, I think? And, man, people were like, oh, my God, like, people lost their minds over that. And and with such uh, spite, you know, I, look, I, I can speak on it as a professional that's done logos, like, in that world. And and, and here's what I think we did right with where our logos were very well received. This isn't about saying who's better or what. But you, you do have to respect the past acknowledge especially with the crest now the world of these crests with with england and all these other european leagues there's a whole different heritage there which there's even less fiddle no one's going in and saying well you know we should just tweak the man united crest just because you know we need to you know it's just very different in that way and and the culture is different so uh what what drives me crazy with those little microcosms is is like yeah okay so people on twitter lose their minds fine but where it gets legitimized, and I think the real inherent danger is then you see like, oh, I don't know if it was like the Guardian or somebody like that, or, or I don't know, the Telegraph. They're saying, they're saying, 
yeah, you know, they're going to write about it. It's an internet story. I get it. And then they're, but they're going, his, his seven other designs that we think are better than the Leeds one. And then it's like designers just free balling it, giving out free logos, which I just find like really irks me because I think the inherent danger of what they're doing is, uh, I always wonder, is it, is this just devaluing what we do for a living? Cause if you're just saying, well, I'm just going to throw it there for free and I'm just throwing out logos in the wind and I mean, I get it. People are free to do that, and uh, it's it's a participatory thing. But it it seems to me to uh, uh, undermine the the uh, again. This isn't me defending the leads thing. I get that it was a miss, but I just worry that it becomes this kind of mockery of you know logo design that gets unveiled, and then people say, "Oh, my kid could have done that." Do you, do yeah, you- I mean, to to be honest, it, it's it's one area that I've looked into a lot, and um, I I think it's a I guess a trend that's not going to go anywhere because I've thought it was something that was web-based only but I've actually read books from the 70s and it talks about these logo contests where people are contributing things for free I think it's normal in the industry but it's just being escalated and become uh, fairly commonplace in in the industry and and to be honest I mean as someone working as a graphic designer, I don't think it's anything to worry about. It's, it's, it's understandable that it comes up like this because graphic design can be seen as like art and, and it's like entering a kid's art competition. So I, I don't think mm-hmm. there's anything that we need to worry about, but it is very likely to, to keep coming up, especially in instances like the, 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 the Leeds uh, crest where, I don't want to say it went wrong because I I haven't done any research to see that it did, but the reaction was definitely um, not positive from anyone. Um, and um, yeah. based bad. on what I would do, I felt like the actual end product kind of looked like a stock image. It didn't look like uh, yeah. the, um, the the leads crest in any way and there was no respect to any of the, the of the heritage so it's interesting you know to hear from you that when you do work on sports brand that is a key part of of that kind of redesign phase and it's something that, that you need to um work on I, I kind of have a question just to expand on that like in in terms of like the 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 process what what is it that you need to do in order to kind of pay respect to that heritage? Are you like pulling out everything that's ever existed and then kind of recreating elements of that? Like, oh yeah, just about. Uh-huh. So how how would you go about say modernizing? Like say if Leeds Sports Club did come to you, what would you actually do in order to redesign that logo? Uh, I think something that we've done consistently here at the studio is really go and do our homework, and boy, do we do it and. Yeah, we will cover every iteration of every jersey and every color schematic striping. Yeah, uh, you're sort of lay, you're laying out the evidence, the evidentiary basis of the, the creative brief. And the other thing you do with that, which is really effective, is you're also guiding up to the uh, team owners, the front office people. You're all going to get them to agree on a certain point of view, and uh, that is informing your visual creative briefs. So you're kind of doing, well, we're all going to arrive on the same page where, and again, I mentioned this thing, we've done a lot of brand evolutions. And I think those have been some really successful ones because they celebrate those really rich parts of different teams, uh, heritage and nostalgia. And, uh, but we made a case for that leading up the whole way and saying, here's why this is going to be the right solution visually because it has these touch points. Something that is such a severed break from that, I think is really hard to sell over like the leads thing. That was such a, like you said, the stock image of it, there was these kind of thick lines and there was a very kind of current way little things are illustrated in vectors now. 
that made it that was such a a break from the essence or the feeling of what what I would have expected on a on a a crest coming out of England or or that that look and feel right. Um, you know, the other thing I was just going to add with the uh, um, when I kept saying cautionary tale about just the loop back on the leads thing for a second. To, to me too is again debating me me just me is telling you my fears of just watching the internet and kind of I don't say a lot of sometimes I comment I try not to but it, it does make my stomach turn to turn to watch it turn into this kind of thing but my real point with that is to say is that uh you know we're in an era where the angry mob of the internet can take down a logo that was that was really what I meant as a cautionary tale this also played out the same way in the United States I think a year prior where the uh, what was it? So the San Diego Chargers moved from Southern California up into the LA area and became the LA Chargers. And I think that was that was seen at the time as a very poor uh, rollout of a brand. And it was something like they just put it up on their Twitter account as the as the as the profile image. And it was an LA and the and the lower descender of the L, the crossbar going over, was a lightning bolt that that then finished the A. Okay, the the crossbar of the A, so the right, like a ligature, sure, it's fine, and uh, people freaked out because oh, it's like the Dodgers L.A. and uh, again, so the angry mob completely took out that logo, like character assassination, <laughs> like that logo is done, and it. So in other words, what I'm saying is, you can see, especially with sports and the intensity of the fan base, that to tell you that, yeah, I I assure you, I'm working in a different scenario where now the. Uh, voices of the internet can kill a logo and i go oh now we're designing in this era Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's duly noted (laughs) well yeah i mean especially when especially when it is like a tribe driven um logo some something for a a sports company in particular it's going to get grilling from from anyone because like one of one of the arguments that i always make is if someone came into your house took your sofa took it out and changed it you're going to be annoyed even if it's a nice sofa Mm-hmm. just because it's like what are you doing you're changing There's you're changing no things so, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um because like sports in particular you, you wear that you wear you wear that logo oh, yeah. it's on everything you wear it's it's part of your identity and as a designer what you're basically doing in is coming in and changing something that they didn't ask you to change and that's why i believe that people get so um mm-hmm. you know ticked off with with any change and I mean, obviously, you know, a year down the line that, uh, you know, that calms down. But I think in particular with, with sports logos, any change, even if it's for the better, you're going to get an uproar just because of the, the uh, nature of um, of the work. And, and, and like I said, because people do wear that, you changing it is just going to, you know, tick them off because they didn't want it to change. That's part of who they are. And, um, you're, you're, oh my God, absolutely. You're basically changing something that, that's very close to them. So it's understandable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, l- let alone that they have it like tattooed on. Oh, yeah, arm. exactly. Exactly. Uh, let alone that. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I think it, that, that makes it unique. That's a very unique experience in, in the work mm-hmm. we do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, to steer back to um, the, the process, I, I understand that what you do, you, you need to do a whole load of research. You need to understand the heritage. You pay respect to that, um, which the lead example that you mentioned didn't do um, to some degree. Um, but that aside, can you talk through like 
how you how would you actually present one of your logos to um uh you know a sports club or something like that like how many options are you presenting like can you talk through what you would do in that situation we've we've had a range of these well designers always love presenting in threes and fives right yeah so would you would you do that with a sports crest would you put together a number of different Uh, options yes yeah okay Yeah, yeah 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 we'll do a range we we've had stuff uh, we've been asked on a very specific team identity brand where we were asked to look at uh, four different mood boards. The, the, the request came down, you have to look at these mood boards first. We want four very specific cultural directions. And, uh, uh, and then there was designs that acknowledged all of them. One, one was pulling an old retro design and making that current, like another brand evolution. That was one. I'm not going to go through the others. There's a, this is an identity that hasn't come out yet. And, uh, uh, that, that was interesting. I, you know, be, there's so much with the team ownership that has uh, a lot of authorship of what their needs are. Uh, you, you always see that happen when a team is uh, sold or, of course, a relocation would, you know, there's a handful of things what makes a, a team change their identity like that. Uh, you know, there was another one. So years back, this one's been uh, uh, made, made public. There was a book written about it called The Extra 2%. It was when the Tampa Bay Rays were the Devil Rays at the time. This is in Florida and the Gulf side, they uh, were bought in from Goldman Sachs executives, younger guys, and they were some of the youngest president and people working in Major League Baseball. And they and they were they took their Goldman Sachs numbers stuff. This is almost I don't know if I'm saying it right. Like it was like a not like a Moneyball thing, but they tried to just take their knowledge of of, of their experience at Goldman Sachs and apply it to the Rays. And we got lined up with the the rebrand, but that was a very specific situation where they were the Devil Rays and they wanted to take Devil out and divorce the past they had a lot of this is a team that talking about heritage they only got started in 1998 and we were already working by then by late 2006 2007 so wasn't a lot of brand equity in terms of let's let's preserve all this wonderful heritage they also had a horrible record so again every team it's such a unique uh set of circumstances that come about to direct the brand the the thing I got very focused, I was very young in my career. I'm sure I had this sort of young, like, let me prove my worth thing. I, I really didn't know the whole process of rebranding a sports team. I had learned that. And at some point as I went through the process, I really stopped and said, they don't need to like earn my keep so much right now as I should really watch Bill's moves. And it has a lot to do with kind of selling. And we always talk about selling in the logo. And the thing I call it now is I'm always talking about like landing the plane. We're going to bring this thing in for a landing through the league, through them. A lot of the way our work is also presented, it's presented from the league through to the ownership. We're not always involved with that process with the Rays. It was different. Bill was. And you can see him guide this. You, you're, you're kind of narrowing them down a corridor. They wanted to take what was this Devil Ray thing. It's kind of a car. It was kind of a an animal looking brand, you know, thing that was popular in the 90s. And they want to get rid of all that to, to the largest degree and make it upscale. He had visions of the Yankees. He had visions of... Sandy Koufax pitching when he was a kid in the 60s. So this owner really felt strongly about why it should look this way and make this a dignified brand. So that was an interesting ask. That, that was different. And, and we did. And I think in the font ended up being like Kunstler and we customize. We always rework the team identities to build a really nice font, custom, you know, ownable font. And um, uh, then the interesting thing was it was not only take the devil out, we think the ray should be connotated with the rays of the sun of Florida. Sunshine. The team is going to be a competitive major league team, but it's going to be about the sun. And I remember thinking like, oh, okay, well, okay. How, how are we going to visualize that? Like, 
don't stare into the sun, it'll burn your eyes. Like, is that the logo? I, right. So uh, it's kind of a neat story. We've shown this in some of our presentations. I, again, I was a younger designer trying to, I don't prove something, I guess. And I just had kind of, I was taking a very different approach with uh, coming out of one of these meetings. And I thought, we kept thinking about letter forms and then sunlight raking over them. And maybe is it a, like a bevel? Like, is it a hard edge that shows shadow? Is it the effect of light? So another thing we always talk about with these uh, identities is there's a, there's a whole range of anything from more of a minor league look to what makes something look like a professional major league team. And, and it's always a lot less. You're, you're always finding that you're designing all these ideas and we're going to do sunlight and we're going to do this. But then in the end, you're pulling it back and you're, you're simplifying it and you're really making it clean. I mean, you look at a lot of the major league jerseys. They're very simple. Look at the Astros, very simple. Blue Jays, simple. You know, the Yankees are timeless, right? Some of these really, like the Cardinals, right? That's just classic baseball. This stuff is really simple. That's the trick, I think. You, you just hone it in. You keep shaving it down. You go into the essence of it. So, so here's the thing on the race was kind of neat is that uh, I just had this wild idea. I said, well, what if we uh, go up, uh, I'll go up on my, my, the fourth floor, the upper, the roof of my brownstone building in Jersey city at the time. And I took a, I said, well, what if we got an R like a mailbox, you know, like a lays a raised letter that you put on the front of your house, like a, a, a brass letter form. And, and it's got to have edges because I'm going to hold it up to the sun and I'm going to take all these photos of light, like raking glints through it and a streak of light that way and then i shoot it and i hold it up right up the sun and uh and then it, it a little beam of light hit the corner of the r and it flared out and somewhere in there we created the glint which we then kind of famously called it and uh that was that was like by i felt the the value add that i had discovered with the along the process of the race and that icon has become a huge part of their identity to this day and uh it was just in, it was just created over a uh, just kind of coming out of the project saying, well, let me do a photo real exercise with the physicality of the world and the sun. And it created what was a central point of their identity. So there it is. Like that's a whole other way we arrived at the right. Yeah. That, that just goes to show that, you know, ideas can come from, from anywhere. And sometimes you need to step away from a project in order to yes. actually come up with, with some ideas. I know a lot of people expect us to be able to sit down in front of a blank piece of paper and come up with these solutions, but you just gave a great example of how you came up with the best solution by literally going outside and experimenting with light and, and a camera. So that's, yeah. that's a really interesting story. It was fun. It was fun. And, but I, but you know, it needs to be said that believe you me, there were plenty of sheets of, you know, something we say a lot is we say, well, we say, well, let's get all those ideas out of our system. We'll say, we'll come up with like, well, what's like, we go, Oh, Hey, I got a dumb idea. What if the logo was like this? And we go, yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> but we like, we were doing ours with like, like, bows like not like rainbows but like you know streaks of light shoot there was like clouds at one point in the logo i mean this is like we're clearly not gonna do this but you do as i would say as part of due process yeah oh, absolutely you definitely want to get all we're like yeah let's just get the bad ideas out of our system mm -hmm. like right now no I, th I think it's good to do that because um i've always found from experience that you know when you start to imagine ideas in your head they feel like they're fully formed at work, but when you actually start like really trying to focus on the details, you realize that they're not there. So I find it's worth sketching out the idea of or playing with that concept because that rubbish idea often turns out to actually be 
pretty good or there's something to it that gives you another idea that you wouldn't have thought of if you didn't see it on paper so i think that's that's really um that that that's a very good story to kind of you know explain where the idea came from yeah yeah or there's 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 the threads of the idea you start going okay there's something about it because there's so many of the things shifting over to the event identities for 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 hockey and baseball the logo has to do so much performance in terms of the concept when you're doing a host city specific mark. So in other words, that's um, like an all-star game gets awarded to the next city. So from the host city, so when you have anything from any kind of all-star that it's a known location coming up that will be hosted uh, to the outdoor hockey games that's always set ahead in the year in advance. Uh, so this one is uh, coming up is uh, Notre Dame. And we were just working with uh, the NHL on that identity. Of course, you're embracing the Irish. Of course, you're doing that. But what really you need to engineer into these marks and what I think is makes the other stuff successful is we used to talk about peeling out elements. And then what's different about going from the team identity is you're building something for such endurance and such simplicity. I talked about honing it in and how simple that headwear mark is up on that cap. You know, they're simple. You really look at them. There's really not a lot about that. But they're bold and they're simple in their way. And uh, you know, they read so visually, you know, across the field. And, you know, like you said, they picked up on fashion. I mean, how many Major League Baseball hats are just seen as a fashion thing now, you know, like the White Sox hat and the Yankees hat. Uh, the, the interesting other side of it is when you have the host city and then you want to tell the story of the host city uh, hosting this all-star or hosting the outdoor hockey game, you're trying to pay such homage to the location, sense of place. It's all about, it's, it's almost about building more things back in the logo. And why you need that is then we're expanding out the whole thing into a whole branded event style guide, a whole system of logos that are working for the digital people and working for the broadcast guys and do the sponsorship and then do the Bridgestone under it. But then when I come and make the horizontal other version of the logo and then all the background, when they deco the stadium, there's the whole narrative of, uh, sense of place and all those graphics that I teed up in that primary logo that when the whole system comes together, it's this immersive experience I was talking about earlier about saying there's so much about the sporting event, I think now. So I think if you go to a winter classic, that's something that could be a once thing in your life. Maybe I mean, there's people probably get to a lot of them. But to me, I think going I've gone to a handful of World Series in my life. I'm, I'm only lucky because I'm close to that. But I wouldn't expect to be doing this if it wasn't for my job. Like, I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to just go to another world series. Like that's just, that's normal. Like, uh, so that's really what we try to make them really special. Um, we were talking about idea generation and I'll, I'll leave in this story. I, I really enjoyed this. I, I think some of the stronger things I've played around with over the years is, um, maybe infusing a, a sort of a personal experience or something that I associate with a city or a place. We had an interesting experience recently where, we over a few years we've now had two major events hosted at the same stadium in Washington DC so our nation's capital and we created two unique points of view that celebrated Washington DC but they look completely different from major league baseball to the NHL for their respective brands but we needed to come up with two points of view that look completely unique right uh not only for our clients, for ourselves too, creatively. And the one that I really enjoyed was is is what's cool with the Winter Classic I've been talking about is we always do it as a throwback. It's a vintage property because it was the genesis of the Winter Classic is they bring that rink outside and it's this throwback to playing pond hockey and these players kind of this reference to them being young and coming up in their own uh, hockey careers. 
And the cool thing was that is you kind of you get to do vintagey stuff or use desaturated color palettes or weave tan color. You can do fun stuff, do cross hockey sticks, kind of vintagey looking. It was fun. It's always a fun uh, property to work on. And uh, so it was hosted in Washington D.C. And, and I'm thinking throwback, and you know there, there was kind of a, a trap to go into. We talk about you know you throw around the obvious stuff. Yeah, you know the obvious thing is, do you go to the Jefferson Memorial? Do you do the Capitol building? Eh, you're probably not going to put the White House in. Maybe you're going to try uh, Washington Monument. Okay, let's get that out of your system because I, we find that a monument alone isn't enough to tell the whole story. So what was really fun about that for me is I'm kind of a bit of a presidential historian geek. I especially have an affinity for. Kennedys, of course, a lot of Irish Catholic Americans have that. Uh, just a side point I love uh, sharing this is uh, when my mother was 12, John F. Kennedy was running. In 60, my grandmother pulled the kids out of school and got them into the parade wow. route when he was campaigning through Philadelphia. And got her in there and my mom shook JFK's hand. And I just, we kind of love that story in the family. We just I love telling it. <laughs> I think I've made a much bigger thing of it in my mind over the years <laughs> than my mother was like, well, I was just a little girl. I was there. You know? I mean, but we, you know, it's like it, as, as to be said, people uh, adore and admire the Kennedy. So, so I have that distilled in me. And uh, I kind of looked at the winter classic thing and we had different ideas about the architecture and maybe the U S mint ideas of money and all these branches of government. And I said, what if it's about like, we, we kind of came to the logos tear sheeting. He said, well, what if it's like, what if it's about like the history of the office of the presidency and think of like all the campaigns, right. And all the presidents that come out, you know, FDR and I like Ike and you have these iconic uh, campaign buttons. And then John F. Kennedy and the, it's this classic look, it's the red top, the line, you know, it's, it's now all seen as just American, American political branding, right. Stars and stripes. So what we did is we did a whole homework assignment, and there was really starting to feel something about it. So when I say about the greater vision of the logo, this offered us two things. It created a unique holding shape and look and feel for the Winter Classic logo, which was a campaign button. Ah, obviously, yes, fun because you can you can you can create the space inside the mark. So everything has a sense of place. It references known things in the world. We did our homework researching the campaign button design motif. It ended up going back as far as like Calvin Coolidge or presidents as far back then where they started developing. FDR seemed to really take ownership of the button motif, the classic stars and stripes. So it was a dabbling in all of that. But what was fun for me is I, I always think of that, uh, that really iconic uh, JFK poster design, which I love that it's just the, the red color blocking down to blue. And then it's that smiling photo of Kennedy. And apparently they, they pined over that. There was a whole debate about would we use a photo of John F. Kennedy smiling or not? And they felt like, well, we, you're going to be this youthful candidate. You've you got to be the guy smiling. And, and so they picked it. And it's a very iconic design to this day. I think it says leadership for the 1960s, right? So I was like, well, here's what's really neat about this idea, too, because then we took photos of like Ovechkin and we put it through a vintage 1960s halftone. And said, well, we're going to do this logo. But then you could make like campaign posters, like for the players. And then you could do it like they're all running for office or something. And then you could make little buttons at the game with the players' faces on them, like they're the guy running. You know? And so then once we said, here's the whole vision and the story of this event, the NHL was like, this is great. And I think it like was like approved almost very, very quickly. <laughs> So it was fun. And that's a very sorry, the long-winded way to explain uh, the, the event logos really can tell a story and really weave a narrative from the host city 
And you can really have fun with it. And you could come. I like that because it, it wasn't such an obvious thing at first. Before we start chatting about Michael's content creation, I want to tell you a little bit more about FreshBooks, who has sponsored this episode. If you design for clients, you need to be paid, and you'll also want to look professional and be organized. And uh, FreshBooks is a fantastic accounting tool that allows you to do just that. It's designed with freelancers and small business owners in mind, and uh, you can quickly create branded invoices with your own logo and color scheme. You can view and manage your profits and expenses, and you can see an overview of everything that's happening in a really beautifully designed dashboard. You can also make it easier for your clients to pay too, since they can pay directly from the invoice. And as an added bonus on top of that, the software will also automatically notify your clients if they've not yet paid, taking away the need to have any of those awkward conversations with your clients. You've got to go and try FreshBooks out and you can do that with a free 30-day trial and you can find out just by heading over to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about us section. Now let's get back to the interview with Michael. One thing that I've always loved about what you do is you put together incredibly high quality content and um, it is something that I wanted to go into and, and just for listeners so that they're aware it's something like uh, when the Tokyo 2020 logo came out, it was accused of, um, you know, copying a, another company. And oh, the Dutch, a, the, the, the Dutch yeah, theater. Yeah, so there was something. all these issues. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and what you did as, as a fun project is you actually went to your daughter's school and worked with the children and you got the children to kind of redesign a logo. And you put this whole really nice piece of content together with lots of good images. And that ended up getting in, in like fairly big sites yes. like it's nice that design boom and so on as as a designer what we always want to do is we always want to get good pr when we create content and i feel that every time you do content you get a, a shed load of um pr so i'd i'd love to hear like some of your some of your stories with this i guess a question that i've always had is uh, how do you choose what you're going to be focusing on and and how are you fitting that around your workload oh yeah that's a great question um, I think you, you look for these things where you, re, you really see that there's a whole conversation about something. I think the things I've done well, they are relevant in the time that they happen and they connect with a conversation that's probably already happening. Um, once I started noticing that I could almost, like you said, do you, how do you pick them? Like I would almost pick things to time it to make sure that it had optimum impact. A whole nother one. I, I won't go too much in there cause it's not so much a design thing, but gr- great example of that was, um, I was, it, as you, I get, you get a sense of my work ethic. I was also a relentless kid as doing creative stuff as a child, as, as a lot of designers and creatives are. But I uh, was so inspired and moved by the scale of Jurassic Park as a kid. And, and talk about, just as a side note, by the way, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Jurassic Park, like the dinosaurs are great. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that was amazing. But when I think back on it, I'm like, you know what was really cool? 
all those like trucks were branded. Like everything had. Like, oh, they were. Like it was you know, branded within the movie. You, you know, uh, last year, last year for my birthday, for my thirty fourth birthday, I bought one of those um, green uh-huh. uh, trucks, one of the toys, which are incredibly rare now. I spent you know a hundred quid on that. No way. <laughs> but as um, but I've got such a, a fond memory of it that I'm yes. like, I need to go back and buy that Jurassic Park car, and I was so excited when it turned up. You know, it's still it's min condition in the box and everything oh my god sorry I interrupted your story carry no, on no i love that no i love that and that's the excitement people have about the franchise and uh, I, I think it was such an experiential movie where you felt like as a kid you went well this is clearly real i could like go there like right like we're going there mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. so my my kid thinking speaking of these cars these vehicles and all this stuff um uh between my friend and i we had gotten enough christmases under our belt and birthdays and in his case, bar mitzvahs or whatever. And uh, it turns out we had enough of the trucks. We put everything together. So we decided to set out and refilm our, our Jurassic Park and, and, and do it as script accurate as possible. Uh, and this was all before it came out on videotape. This was all we had seen enough times in the theater and did it enough from memory and then started writing scripts and faxing them back to each other in 1994 and 93. We tried to do some in the summer of 93. And then we looked at it and we went, ah, oh, this is crap. We can do better. So uh, the point about this story was timing. I won't go more into that. That, 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 that alone, that, that, oh my God, that went all over the damn world. Uh, I, I uniquely keyed up, teed up that video. I, I had dug it up in 2013 and thought, oh, it's been 20 years since Jurassic Park came out. I, don't, I mean, that's interesting. I don't know if people measure the world in that way, like how many years it's been again. You know, it's, it's not that interesting. But then it was very clear how this Jurassic world was going to come out. And I went, ah, no, I'm going to sit on this. And then I will tee this thing up like the month leading up to Jurassic World coming out. And oh my God, did that time out like perfectly. Like I got an interview. I'll just say the last thing with that is I got the local, I knew someone through NJ.com. So they sent out somebody with like the, our basic New Jersey Northern paper, the Star Ledger. And they did like a whole interview. Like we did a whole interview photo shoot. I got the guy that I still know, David from uh, years ago, we're now like grown ass men talking about like VHS tapes and shooting our movie. And um, so, so would that sound like a small interview here regionally? Right. But then like within a week, people magazine picked up the entire piece (laughs) and then ran the story. So I woke up morning on my analytics and you go through and I, and when I have a story out, I'm I'm watching my phone way too much more than I should, but I, but I want to know what's happening and when it's happening. And what's funny with these things, you're generally not told. And I go to the Ray Studio site and it goes, top referral. And it's like all this traffic. It says people.com. And I'm like, people? Like like a person? Like people? Like we're people? You're pe- people? And I go to him and I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the front page of <laughs> People Magazine. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. And there, and, and the, the views shoot up through. The, the video got like 40,000 views Whoa. in a matter of under an hour. No way. So that was like, oh my God. So, so I tell the Jurassic Park story to say, keep it keep it relevant on timing, keep it, you're a part of the conversation. So why is that relevant? Because it turned out, well, the NJ people, NJ.com, like they want traffic. They want to be part of something. So they see value in the crazy thing I did as a kid. Right. And and they want to line up and have a relevant thing. And they go, well, this, because I was, you know, born in New Jersey and they could throw it as a New Jersey story that these kids did this. And uh, it was great for them. So why I say that is, you pointed this out too. See, I don't think I do crazy. I don't have a big audience. I don't go around saying, oh, I, oh, it went viral. Like, 
I don't have the capacity to do that. I'm not like an influencer. I'm, I'm, I, I have a small audience, I think, in all measurements of social media, right? But what I can, what I've somehow done is you, you do something relevant and, and you do it in, a, in, in part of the conversation because I think you pointed out when we talked earlier, these, these groups, they're, they're out trying to look for how they could be part of the conversation and, and they want content. So the NJ people were like, this is great. Now we have a Jurassic thing. People are so excited about this right now. And then it really just, and it just kept going from there. I kicked it out to the awesomer and um, generally these things are discovered. It's funny. I was writing a series of notes to myself to share with you. I know you wanted to, me to expand on this. And, uh, you know, I, uh, a lot of times where I've pitched it to like to people or, or, or open submissions, I get total silence for a lot of things. This is recently the one I just did for the World Cup. And what's funny, too, is you, you mentioned the Tokyo 2020 thing. And I think these things are so specific to the site and the people making the decisions of the editors of what they want to put up and they don't, where I've, I wouldn't say I've made relationships with people. I've probably gotten to know. I, I don't think they remember me because I think I'm a flash in the pan and they go on to the next thing. But a lot of times I've said, oh, here's this other project I did that seems like it's going well enough where it's worth sharing. And I just get complete silence. And they're just like, no, pass. Like, they don't even say no. They're just, you know, so it's funny. It's in some ways, nothing's repeatable is what I'm saying about that, where one thing exploded in this way and was relevant to this group. But this thing over here is a footballing thing. And that's going to connect with these people. And none of those people from those design sites are interested in that thing. You know, and there you go. I don't, maybe that's a very obvious thing, but it just, it was interesting to me over time where, uh, um, I think, I think the best things that have ever the, the interesting things to me that were happening as I was again you I think you were saying I to kind of take you through some of this process is I, I talk a lot about doing a trial balloon and testing out an idea and I think some of the, the earliest things you and I talked about was this Tokyo 2020 thing with the with the preschoolers and I think I flipped it over to you and I, I think I'm one to do that I kind of in my personality I'll say oh I got this idea you know, what do you think of this and what do you think you know I'll ask people ask my wife and uh, maybe to a fault, maybe too many voices. I should go with my instincts, but I think I flipped it to you the night before yeah, and said, did, yeah. "Oh, hey, Ian," and, and we had interacted maybe before. I think this was in 2015, and I and I think I showed you me cutting squares and triangles out. I said, "Hey, Ian, tomorrow I'm going to have a bunch of preschoolers make me." <laughs> what do you think? And then I, you came right back, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is great! You got to tell me, keep me informed." And I went. Oh, good. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is a good idea. All right. I'm going to keep doing this. No, I, th I think what you do with your content and, and why I think it always does well, because I, I need to say this, every time you do some kind of content, you don't just like throw a blog together. You go full on out and you put together, like you, you, you spend weeks on it and you put this content together. So what I've noticed from you, you do incredibly high quality content that you invest a lot of time in. You keep it very relevant, but then you don't do that that often. But when you do it, you get all this exposure and and i think it is because like you said it's very relevant the whole jurassic park thing jurassic world people can re re uh, relate with that like i hear that story and like oh can't you know like i'm from the same generation as you I, I kind of get drawn into that story so i understand why that did get picked up and the same with the tokyo 2020 thing the same with um you know your recent uh 
all of the stuff for the World Cup, how you've been painting your maps and doing time-lapse paintings yeah, yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And I know that got in the sun as well. It got so, in the sun and it got, it got on the Guardian. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Because, because you're like properly investing time in it and doing something really good, people don't do that. And it just means that you're getting all this good PR. And, um, you know, I've spoken about in the previous episodes, like from a SEO perspective, you're getting backlinks from the Guardian, from the Sun, from the People yeah. website. This is all, it's all such good quality backlinks that when people need to find a, a graphic designer around sports branding or whatever, that's why you're coming up because you're seen as someone with authority online in um google's eyes and, and i think because you are like properly preparing decent content and investing time in it and you know getting all of these links from all, the, all these other places with authority that's why they're doing well and why sometimes they're going viral and um for, for me that is one of your strengths and it's one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about it because other people need to look at what you're doing and kind of do the same but in their own way you know find a relevant story put some content together and put it out i guess the the other part of this this question was uh i i think i know how this is how how you're making time for because you are working for an agency but i just wanted to kind of ask it how are you making time for this because you're obviously creating uh time specific content but how are you able how are you preparing for that because i mean something like the world cup all the content that you created that would have took weeks so how 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 was you able to create something that was so demanding on time? Yeah, as as all things, it all comes with trade offs. You know, yeah, we were, as exciting as that was, we were talking about the Guardian. That was like, yeah, that was thrilling. And both like getting the early indications that it could happen was like more like, oh my gosh, is it? And then if it does, are they going to do? You know, because you're in the fold of an editor's uh, scheduling, which I've sort of been learning about the series people, and you know, you're, you're really getting really you're really on their behalf. Like it's, 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 you know, people say it's an honor, but it's like, yeah, to be featured, it's like incredible. So you can't be like, uh, what am I trying to say here? Yeah. It was as exciting as it was. It was surprisingly stressful of, uh, uh, will it happen? Won't it happen? And and how many gray hairs I got out of that? Uh, yeah. I, you know, it's always like, I, I just have a concern over how this all looks where I'm always one to say, like, I've also done some like little video things with my kid and made stuff with her, which is really fun. And, um, you know, people go, ah, oh, you're like father of the year. And I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't go around saying that. Cause every time I do that, that's my wife going, well, you spent all this time building the thing and how much time did you spend <laughs> with, with Eve and like doing the thing versus making the thing, which is a really relevant thing to say. Obviously I, I have a child and, uh, you know, it's a real, it's a real toss up thing of at the point you're right. Cause I do do these things and then I, I disappear. We talked about coming off a project where, you know, we're in the summer now and I've, had some time off in July to come off the World Cup thing, which was which was nice and kind of get grounded again. And um, you know, it's 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 almost at the point where they're very exciting to do. Uh, I really pick and choose them. I, I can't let it become a conflict with the studio or Philip's stuff. It, it is exciting, and and I always share that. You know, I I, I was say, so oh, I'm drawing a bunch of portraits right now because you know I never know when these things will pick up. And uh, uh, I, I would just say at the point I'm at in my life where I'm. I'm, I'm maybe doing less of them because I'm really trying to critically look at the balance of, and I know it's always talked about balance and work-life balance with designers because designers and creatives inherently like making things. That's a good thing, right? It's, it's enriching. All these things influence my work in different ways. The mediums always I'm working in has nothing to do with 
a logo thing like at a fan brand thing because I, I I do it here. I don't need to go and create more of like that's what I do for a living. Usually these things, I think the more interesting things I'm doing are they're all over different media. Like I did a GIF painting thing one year with the Euros. It was all just watercolor. Uh, the football atlas thing was cool because it was uh, charcoal, and I thought it defined a lot of who I am as a as a person. You know, you said about creating the quality of the work. I I think the things I've done the best is are stuff I, you always have to do stuff you care about, right? I mean, so clearly I was very excited about Jurassic Park as a kid. So that's going to come from, the, the advice I'd say is it comes from your heart, right? You know, do, do in doing the most passionate stuff. I mean, this probably sounds just so obvious, but I think the best kind of stuff I've done is, is, is it's, a, it's a unique passion and it's, it's a real spot of something I truly care about. And, you know, it's funny, I joke with what, you know, it, it all goes in, in all ways. I, <laughs> I've kicked around some stuff about John F. Kennedy or uh, there was a lot of stuff in the United States when it was the 50th anniversary of the assassination. And I did a piece with my mother and I actually had her tell the story of when she met Kennedy. And I thought, it, I really loved it. I, it. You almost started looking and go, well, that's a project for myself and literally no one else. And it barely got looked at, like just people didn't care. And I think that's a disconnect of the generation that does care is either passed on or is just not relevant in the use of the internet and the capacity that I'm putting these things out. Um, it was well received within my family and it was neat to document that. And I enjoyed doing the photo research because like I figured out the photos of the right car he was in at the moment my mother met him and I got footage of him driving. Like, I just love all the, the real noodly details of things like that. I, I love that stuff. I love the research. And I think maybe that's a good point to bring up with the Kennedy thing, even though it, it's, it's not a successful version of it. But um, I think I try to look at uh, projects that have a lot of meat to them. I think that have duration of, of content. You, you need to be able to go in depth, I think, on a piece or a topic um, and, and really go in deep on it. And uh, I think that's worked well because that gives you a lot of material to work with, doesn't it, right? So for like the World Cup, you literally had, what, 32 competing nations in it? Oh, that's a lot to work with, you know. Can't do can't do thirty two portraits. Didn't commit to that. I, I felt like at the point I was now, as I said to myself, well, I don't want this to be a chore, and and I don't want this to get out of hand. As we, I don't want to do that. Uh, and I also talk about kind of coming off and just try to rebalance time with my own family versus oh, like you know, I'm drawing more uh, international footballers than charcoal, which. Uh, you know, so so that's a trade off in my time, and and you know those are done on nights and done on weekends, and I'll say to my wife, oh, can I have a couple hours on Sundays? It's okay. Can we trade? You know, you you should get off and do something later. You know, with one kid, we do a lot of switching off and parenting. I guess that's the thing about having one kid. Maybe I don't know. Uh, so you know, you just have to be mindful of the people around you. I I think so. What so my point is, I, I've yeah, I've put my heart into them, but I I I've only been doing I think one one once a year now. I, I'm trying to just really. Cause you do put a lot into it and just, um, but, that, but that's what everybody knows and who knows me goes, well, that's what, that's why they do so well is you put so much into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly that. And I think it's interesting what you said. Um, you made it very clear with your response then that they take a lot of time and you have to basically spend all of your time on it in order to do it, you know, to pull it off. evenings, weekends and so on to actually pull it off. So, you know, people listening that do want to do stuff like this, 
you just have to put in the work you know that that's how you've been successful and and how you know when you do release content you're getting high exposure i know when you do actually finish the content i know that you are doing more work to to help reach more uh readers because uh, you tend to ping me a message you know ian would you mind sharing this out on social so i'll share that out so you must be doing a lot of that as well yeah here and there you know like i said it's it's funny just just some don't don't respond again the the best ones that have ever happened come, come to me i wanted to point this out i thought this was a, an interesting observation I, I wrote a series of notes since we talked and um yeah a lot of the ones that you know, I don't want people to think that I, oh, I have this network of reporters and I just go to this one guy and tell him, hey, I'm doing a thing and then it just takes off. It, it's literally never like that. It's, it's generally people I don't know and I've never even heard. Like I've got, I didn't even know what It's That Nice was until my work was on it. I, I didn't know what it was. And that's been the case with a lot of that. So you didn't contact them? No. 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 Oh, wow. Okay. No. So the beauty of it is that if you get the ball rolling enough, and, and I don't really have the answers of why. I mean, I, I what I would say is I I think I started to say this, and we're, we're just jumping around a lot. Uh, talked about this idea of trial balloons, and I also kind of came up with this phrase, I call it early indicators. And I think, I, I don't know if you ever get this way, you get sucked into the social media aspect of, you know, watching the likes. And, and I think you do look, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but you probably do see that it's somewhat of a barometer. You're trying to figure out, is what I'm doing here interesting? Is it is it hitting a mark? And then sometimes it's like, nope, okay, nope, nope that wasn't Yeah, I, I've seen that. Sometimes I put content out and I've had like 500 to 1,000 likes. And yeah. then sometimes I put something out and I get four. Um, yep. So it is, it is good. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, you talk about this trial balloon and testing your content. What, what is it that you're doing? Well, exactly that, because you just go... Oh, that's interesting because oh, that, that worked. Okay, that did really well. Okay, why did the – like, for example, there's another thing I was doing in March coming – setting me up into the World Cup project is, of course, our – and I'm not going to get political about this, I promise you, on your show. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the United States is in a bit of turmoil, and there was a certain president of ours that just kept firing everyone like it was some kind of game, and it was just – weird like it's just a it's a very weird period in the united states i i I credit to like um i'm not saying the level of disaster or anything like that but the mood uh after the 9-11 attacks i did a lot of art yeah you know i was in art school when that happened so like literally all my projects were about responding to that (laughs) i recently went through them and i went oh my god my teachers must have been like oh michael did another drawing of the wreckage of the world (laughs) like i was uh, you know uh, like what you know they were but they were all like like they weren't like I wasn't like drawing the trade like I was like kind of drawing the skylight over and over again like a crazy person but they were like like I was ripping off the front page of the New York Times then drawing George W. Bush on it just as a re like it just it was just a young person reacting to uncertainty right because the periods after 9-11 was all, it was all about uncertainty like we didn't know where it was going and it was just a it was a whole thing that I feel like looking back that was a crazy time to live through this is an equally weird time so I found myself going back to art to deal with it and I started uh, drawing. I said, oh, Trump fired this guy today. Oh, this guy resigned. Okay, doing that guy's portrait. And I just kept doing portraits and doing portraits. And I went, oh, my God, it's too many portraits. <laughs> and he just kept, you know, then Hope Hicks went, and then this person went, and this person went. And then they just started piling up in the upstairs studio. And um, Lori, she does her yoga up there sometimes. And then at one point, Lori's like, I can't go up there and do uh, yoga with all their eyes. <laughs> All your, all the fired people. <laughs> and uh, what I was just joking with that is that project didn't really go anywhere. Like, yeah, you know, people have liked it. Like all the people that know me, they're like, oh, that's cool. It's like funny you're doing that. And I would have to do the drawings immediately. 
like Trump would fire him the day and I'd draw it like that night and um, didn't go anywhere. Like really nothing, like nothing happened with that. So, you know, you kind of shift your gears and then, you know, I knew the World Cup was coming and I just used the same technique of those portraits because they were supposed to be hasty drawings. However, there was useful things pulled from it because what I did notice is every time I put the video up of me doing the drawing, it was more interesting than the drawing. And I went, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I saw those. I, I really enjoyed those um, sketches. Oh, thanks. Because then I asked lay people, like when I say lay people, I just mean not artists because I go, well, that's just so normal to me. I, a big deal. I drew the portrait. Like I, a lot of people could do that. But what was interesting, so again, I, I talk about, the, so here's an early, you look for indicators. You realize, oh, that's interesting that's almost more interesting than the final thing. Huh. Okay. So maybe the series wasn't useful, but that was a very insightful takeaway. So when I moved into the World Cup project, I made sure I recorded some of the drawings because you didn't have time for all of them. But then I had the system of putting up each uh, process piece. So then, so moving up to, this is like the Memorial Day weekend, uh, got my hands on an iPad Pro and, and then, you know, they deliver this little time-lapse thing. So the fun thing with the World Cup, again, I always talk about personalizing it. I don't have an entry point of the world. I don't, I'm not like a world traveler. I don't work with FIFA. Like I don't know them. So to me, the entry point was I enjoyed that the project was half analog, drawn by hand charcoal. And then I took everything digital and took the maps digital. But the maps were analog. So the Atlas was from the early 70s, which really felt like leftovers of my childhood. A lot of the old maps and you know, early 80s is kind of late 70s leftovers, isn't it? You know, uh, so moving into the 80s, these this were like kind of nostalgic things to see a map of the USSR. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And then it, it changed and the maps changed. Oh, that was cool. And um, so I thought that was kind of a neat thing personally. Just I mean, I don't think people, you know, it's not like the levels of it, but it, it came from my it felt like me because I thought it defined a lot where see, we're in this last generation where like I lived like we did things analog, like I drew portraits in high school, pre like internet coming into its infancy as a curiosity, right? But not like, more like, oh, well, this is clearly the future. You know, I, we weren't there yet, right? So what's fun I liked about the series is it was half analog and half digital. I thought that really well expressed my early 80s generation where I'm on this cusp Gen X thing, right? And um, uh, so we talk about trial balloons. And uh, so I did one with Harry Kane, and I threw him over to the England map, and I, and I was just like, this is cool. And I just wrote this comment like, oh, I, I've always found maps interesting. And then the thing just gets viewed like crazy. And I'm like, oh, like what's going on here? And then, and then we're passing a day, and it's getting 10,000 organic impressions yeah, and views. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, well, well, this is something. What was interesting, it exceeded the drawing. The views of me figuring out the drawing with Harry Kane and then painting the red jersey over England and then doing the St. George's Cross. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, you could you could pivot this project and do it as a series. You know, and I'm kind of... So I showed me trying to figure out, and it was imperfect. And that was like, well, then clearly this is something. And then it racked up like 12,000 views. And I was just like floored because I just don't get numbers like that. Not on a one-off thing, right? And so, so, the, so then you keep going. And then I, and then I was kind of thinking about this idea is that you, you look for early indicators. So my fear was, oh, I'm going to do more of these. And the next four of these porches are going to get like 200 views and then be dead. <laughs> like this will be over. This, this isn't going to happen again for me. And um, oh my God, no, it just, it just kept going. And once I shifted into um, 
is a player, uh, you know, Egypt was getting a lot of attention when they had gotten in the World Cup. It had been years before they qualified. And that's exciting to me. I think it's neat to see these nations just get so excited, especially we can kind of participate through Twitter. Like I remember seeing them qualify last year in 17 at some point, and you just saw people in Egypt losing their minds. And that's like exciting. Like that's an exciting thing. We talk about sports as a cultural experience. That's exciting to me. I think that's really neat. I think that's the magic of the World Cup to me. You're you're seeing a common experience across the world. And how many times does that really happen? Like the Olympics maybe and – I don't know, but this World Cup just strikes me as very special. So I do Mo Salah, and it's like, oh, my God, that one like completely took off so wow. much to the point where then I started getting it retweeted back at me in Arabic. Then I watched people take the drawing and put it on their headers, like, you know, some young guys in their 20s in Cairo putting it up. I'm like, oh, this is, so, this is great. This is really good. Okay, good. I'm going to keep doing this. And, um, and then I shifted to Nigeria. I did the guy in Nigeria, and that worked out really well. So I just kept going. And uh, – um, uh, and, and I felt like those were really good early indicators. Like you're onto something. Uh, it's nice to see the encouragement. I'm not saying I base all my decisions based off the randomness of strangers on the internet, but it's nice to get, as you said, with your posts, it's nice to get some indication that you're, you're, you are connecting with an audience. You're, you're basically gauging how popular potential content might be. And, and because you've got those early indicators that that is going to be good and, and it's relevant and so on, that's when you're then branching out and creating a lot more. So I, I think that's a really interesting um, thing to consider. And I, I, I just love that story. And I hope that people listening will get some inspiration. Yeah, or, or, as my, or, or, as, or as my wife goes, at, or as my wife as my wife tells it, she goes, how's your popularity contest going? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the way it is, isn't it, online? So, yeah. Anyway, we've been talking for quite some time now, so I kind of want to just wrap things up and ask you one final question. If you could offer listeners just one piece of advice to help them with their, um, to help them with their, uh, can't speak, design career, what would that advice be? You know, you know, I've gotten this question before with things, and, and what's a little... Uh, daunting to answer it is um, I feel like when I look at the world and, and the way people come up in design is definitely different where I'm definitely feel like I was on the end of another period of how uh, people got known. And, 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 and I hate that phrase. It's always said, well, it's not, it's not what, you know, it's like who, you know, and yeah, but you know, you're not in control. Like how much are you in control of your own, destiny that way you could oh let, let me just go out and meet like tons of people and, and i'll figure out my career that way i um i mean you, you obviously get known for doing consistently good things that that's clearly always been the case here at the agency uh, um uh, repeatable consistent work you know there's always so much about the conversation of it's not only so much the work is like do we ever want to work with these people you know you know i, I think we've exceeded really well at, at the studio for we, we always, we always want to leverage and bring the most value that, that our people within the leagues look really great up to their people. And I'm talking the people up, up to the commissioner of, of, of these leagues. And, and those are moments when it comes back down and they said, oh, this went really well. We had this great meeting with this guy. And then I go, that's a moment where you do feel proud of your own career. Like I'm, I'm glad that we created that. Uh, it was a logo solution. It was the right thing that hit the right mark and it, and it went over so well, you know, and we weren't even there in the room. So it's like, well, great, good. Um, uh, to, to, so I, I think I struggle to answer cause I don't, I don't know if anything's recreatable of, 
again, I, I never seeked out sports branding. Uh, it's the people that I got to know, but it's, but it's, but it's like any kind of niche of design. I, I figured out the, over these years, the right formula and aspects of creating a certain style. It's really just a style of design, right? We're talking about. And as I've explained, it's, it's, it's fairly simple. It's very effective. You know, it's, it's mass produced. It's marketable. It's, you know, it's a, it's a whole demographic and people that buy and consume sports thing. And we hit that I think we hit that, that demo real nice. I'm sure if you look at the sales numbers of all this stuff, I'm sure it's very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I find it interesting uh, what you say, because like you didn't choose to specialize in sports branding, but the fact that you eventually did get this um, uh, job uh, working for sports brands, you've been able to really hone what you're learning, hone what, what you're studying and, you know, being in that position you've taken advantage of it and and have pretty much become you know a real expert on on sports branding so i think like you said with that advice even though you, you uh was hesitant on it you, you did say uh, create consistently good work and that's the same with both um you know the the work that you do for your clients and your own work and uh, i think that alone is is fantastic advice Cool. Anyway, yeah. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been really great chatting with you and I'm looking forward to rolling this episode out. Oh, it's going to be fun. I think we hit a lot of good range of things. Yes. I, I feel like the only thing I didn't uh, share enough is, is uh, uh, perhaps a, a Jeff Goldblum impression, as I promised one of my <laughs> friends. Uh, I, I had this joke with my friends where we were going to, uh, you would, you would, you would go in and present a logo, but you would only present it as Jeff Goldblum and you'd just go, ah, well, of course the, corner of the, uh, the stitch work of the baseball is going around at the bottom, but we can, you know, take up the all-star and we could do the game, but, and, and then, uh, well, uh, well <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and if we started the interview earlier in the morning for my time, you would have got, which I, I'm too hyped up now to do, but you would have got my really groggy, you know, Harrison Ford, like the logo has to look this way, dad, don't call me junior. Well, what a way to end an interview with a few logo-themed impressions. Um, Michael, thank you so much for your time, for sharing the, the stories behind your work and, and for uh, giving up your time for this. Um, it's very much appreciated. If you're keen to learn more about Michael, I've added links to his website and social media accounts in the show notes for this episode, which you can find just by heading over to logogeek.uk forward slash 3.9. In the show notes, you'll also find a full transcription of the interview and links to any books or resources mentioned. So I hope that would be a useful tool for you. If you're looking for someone to discuss uh, any topics mentioned in, in this episode, I recommend that you become part of the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's free to join and you'll be able to chat and network with over 5,000 logo designers from around the world. It's an awesome place to talk about logos, to get feedback, to ask for advice, and most importantly, to make friends with other logo designers. I know personally, I made some amazing friends uh, in in the last year since creating the the community, and it would be awesome uh, for you to have the same experience too. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you, and I'll see you next week where I'll be interviewing a design legend a master of food packaging design and an incredibly talented and inspiring designer, Louise Feely. 
I'm excited about this interview and um, I, I want you guys to listen to this one. So make sure that you are subscribed so that you can be the first to know when that episode comes out. So for now, until then, have a fantastic week and I'll see you again next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.